the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Folks, for us to be a great evangelistic church, and that is my desire, there has to be not only a unified submission to the Word of God, not only an orthodox response to the authority of Scripture, but there must be a love for one another that transcends whether we agree with one another or not on things, that says, you know what? Your ministry, I'm going to esteem your work more important than mine. You go ahead. You do this. A love for one another, a servant's attitude towards one another. How can I help you? How can I, how can I minister to you? How can I make your ministry, uh, just, just wonderfully effective? Rather than looking just at what we do and how dare they do this where it infringes upon what I do. That's what destroys churches. All too often in our passion to stand fast in the truth, we quarrel among ourselves over insignificant differences. Some who claim the name of Christ are downright disagreeable. Truth without unity is a hindrance to our testimony, and unity without truth may very well be a hindrance to our own salvation. Welcome to Verse by Verse and Pastor Steve Kreloff's concluding message in this series of lessons from Titus chapter 3. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our last class, we learned that one major hindrance to evangelism is false teaching. Today, we will look at another obstacle, divisive people. Turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. Secondly, the second threat to evangelism is, uh, is this, factious people. Verse 10 tells us about this. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Now, the first thing that we need to decide, it's an interpretation uh, decision, interpretive decision that we need to, to uh, have at this point, is what does Paul mean exactly by factious? Because it may be a little confusing to some of us, since the King James Version does not translate it factious, it translates this word heretic. So what is Paul referring to? Is he referring to a divisive individual? who we would say is factious, or a heretic. What is a heretic? Someone who holds to a false doctrine outside of the realm of biblical orthodoxy. What's he referring to? Well, let's, let's, let's look at this a little bit. The Greek word originally meant to choose. It just meant to choose in the sense of choosing to believe something or an opinion. I choose to believe this. I have an opinion about this. But as the word developed, and that's how language is, words never stay the same. They develop. As the word developed in in the language, it came to mean one who not only followed or chose to believe in a teaching contrary to God's word, but now he caused division in the church by gathering around him other people who held to the same belief. And, And that's really how Paul is using it here. He's not talking about so much a false teacher. He's talking about someone who has um, listened to the false teaching and someone who is now causing division, professing believers in the church who are now causing division by embracing these speculative, foolish controversies that were being propagated by the false teachers. Now, the principle, though, 
The principle goes far beyond false teaching and speculative controversy. The principle is this. It applies to anybody who's divisive in the church. God is very, very concerned about division in the church. And what are we to do with the factious or divisive individual in the church? Not just divisive in the sense of false teaching. could be divisive in the sense of gathering a little click around themselves, uh, putting, um, putting one elder above another where I'll follow this guy but not this guy. Uh, a bad attitude. Things like that where, where now it spreads. That's why this is so dangerous. And what are we to do with someone like that? Well, Paul says in verse 10, Reject him. Reject this kind of person after a first and second warning. He's to be warned two times by the leadership of the church, lovingly, patiently, kindly, but very firmly. And if um, if after two times he doesn't repent and change, then the Bible says he's to be rejected. What does Paul mean by reject? I take it he means church discipline. Put him out of the uh, out of the fellowship of the church. Can he still attend? Sure. Sure, but he's not considered a part of the membership, not considered a part of the fellowship. He's a spectator. He's not a part of the church. That's how serious this is. In fact, Paul clarifies this. Let's look at Romans chapter 16. Division is very, very serious. Romans chapter 16, Paul said basically the same thing. Verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Reject them. Don't fellowship with them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. In that context, he's probably speaking about false teaching. In Titus, I take it he's talking about believers in the church who were embracing false teaching, and they may have been unbelievers too, but for the most part, I think he means believers. Now, why are divisions and dissensions to be treated so strongly? And, and really, how does this pose a threat to evangelism? For this reason, the unity of a church is absolutely necessary. The spiritual unity of a church is absolutely necessary for evangelism. You can have no effective evangelism if a church is divided. Why? Well, let me give you, let me give you a great, great statement from the Lord Jesus himself. If we are a divided church at each other's throats and not showing love to one another, then we need to very closely listen to the words of Christ in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a simple but profound truth. And when the world sees us loving one another, serving one another, esteeming one another more important, putting our own preferences aside for the preferences of other people, then the world will take note that we're far different than they are, that we're different than any other organization. We are a body of believers who are disciples of Jesus Christ who loves. That's why the New Testament emphasizes with the metaphor that the church is a body. There's so much emphasis in the New Testament from Ephesians and, and, uh, and 1 Corinthians. We are a body, one body, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit, one body with many different functions, loving one another, coordinating things, and uh, the oneness of the body of Christ, one mind, one heart, one purpose. And if our attitude is, as we share the gospel, yes, Jesus loves you, but we can't get along with one another, then we have no credibility with evangelism. No credibility at all. What kind of a testimony will we have to the community if our congregation is made up of cliques and divisions? Everybody thinking his plan is better. 
His way is the only way. Let me have you turn to Philippians chapter 2. Very, very pertinent. Philippians chapter 2. Oftentimes, I think we read these words and only think of it individually and never in the context of a church, but this is written to a church. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, Paul said, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, once again, unity here, same mind, maintaining the same uh, love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Now, usually we look at that individually, but this is in the context of a church. And I'll tell you what I, what I think Paul is saying here. Paul is referring to church unity in the sense of don't think your ministry is over somebody else's ministry. Don't think your work is more important than somebody else's work, because they did have some division in that church, and it related to the work of ministry. In, in chapter 1, he said that some are out evangelizing, thinking they'll rob me of joy because I'm stuck in a prison. So it's in that context that Paul says, don't think your ministry or your work is more important than anybody else. Listen, we've got to be very careful about that. This morning we've got more things going on than we ever have, and, and we're on the verge of more things happening and happening. And if we're not careful, the attitude will be is this, my fellowship, my fellowship group, my Bible study, my Sunday school class is more important than anything else in the church, where you might think that your Sunday school class is the church. Nothing else really matters. My ministry is the church. My work is more important. My Bible study has precedence over everything else. So if we don't get the room that we want, we're going to have a little hissy fit about it. Or if you do something in ministry and I don't like it, I'm going to have a bad attitude about it because I think I know better. And before you know it, and believe me, that's how the stuff starts. Before you know it, you're a divided church with negative attitudes and grumblings. Why don't they tell me this? Why don't they do this? Why do they do this? And, and you have no impact in evangelism because we're, we're a, a dis, uh, disconnected, disjointed fellowship. And we have no testimony, no credibility of testimony to the world. That's why Paul is so strong about it. If somebody is causing division in the church through gossip, through error, or following a certain person, or a, a bad, stinky attitude... They have to be spoken to firmly, strongly, lovingly. And if after the second time they're spoken to and they don't change their ways, then they are to be dealt with harshly and very firmly. Why? Look at Titus chapter 3. Knowing, you'll know this after he doesn't respond or she doesn't respond by the second time, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. He's warped, it means, when it says he's perverted. He's warped because he's out of touch with the truth. If they persist, then it shows that they're out of touch with the truth and that he's let himself get trapped by Satan. It is the snare of the devil. It's not God's will. And this leads to, uh, to constant and deliberate sin, and which in turn condemns the man because he knows he's in sin, and it condemns him. He knows he has a bad attitude. Folks, for us to be a great evangelistic church, and that is my desire, there has to be not only a unified submission to the Word of God, not only an orthodox response to the authority of Scripture, but there must be a love for one another that transcends whether we agree with one another or not on things, that says, you know what? Your ministry, I, I'm going to esteem your work more important than mine. You go ahead. You do this. A love for one another, a servant's attitude towards one another. How can I help you? How can I, how can I minister to you? How can I make your ministry, uh, just, just wonderfully effective? Rather than looking just at what we do and how dare they do this where it infringes upon what I do. That's what destroys churches. 
And you may think that uh, uh, that couldn't possibly happen here. Yeah, it can. Yeah, it can. And there are pockets even of that, even of that happening. So there's to be no bickering, no putting one aspect of the work above another. It is the work of Jesus Christ, and we are to love one another with an attitude that, that, that displays to the world that we esteem others more important than ourselves. All of it is the work of Christ. Amen? I'll remember you said that. Okay. So what threatens evangelism in a church? False teaching because you get off track. Secondly, factious people, no unity, no love. The world says they don't have anything special. There's a third threat to evangelism in the church, and that is financial selfishness. And we see this in verses 12 and following. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Now, in verse 12, Paul tells Titus that he is sending two replacements. Actually, he does not sure, maybe two, maybe one. It's sending him to, uh, to the islands of Crete, uh, for Titus to be free to, to go visit Paul. He's sending, uh, one of two men, Artemis or Tychicus. And, um, we don't know anything about Artemis. We, we have read more in the New Testament about Tychicus, a real servant to Paul. And they're coming in order to free Titus to go leave the island and rejoin Paul in a city called Nicopolis, and uh, which was probably the city he meant. There's a number of places called Nicopolis, but the major one was on the west coast of Greece. But before Titus was to leave Crete, Paul told him to help two other men, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. Now, we don't know anything about Zenos except he was a lawyer. We're not even sure if, he, if this means he was a lawyer, a Roman lawyer, does it mean he was dealing with litigation? Or does it mean he was a Jewish man who was dealing with the Mosaic law? Some have looked at this and said, well, Zenos isn't exactly your typical Jewish name, so he must have been a Roman Greek lawyer, but not necessarily true because Jewish men took on Greek names. Paul was really Saul and took on a Greek name called Paul. So we don't know. We, we don't need to know. We do know about Apollos. Apollos was that eloquent Jewish man from Alexandria, Egypt, who was mighty in the scriptures. And Aquila and Priscilla in Acts 18 took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more clearly. Uh, a great man. But these two men were perhaps, and we don't know even this for sure, maybe they were the ones who brought Paul's letter to Titus. That's, that's a real possibility. Now, in what way was Titus to help Zenos and Apollos? Paul said, I want you to help them. Well, he says in verse, um, in verse 13, so that nothing is lacking for them. In other words, supply them with, with funds or whatever else is needed. In other words, meet their material needs. Supply them financially, supply whatever they need. You take care of it, Titus. You know what? The early church understood this. The early church understood that it was their responsibility to meet the needs of full-time Christian workers and traveling missionaries. They understood this. Look at Third uh, John, just um, just before Jude, which is just before Revelation. Third John. John had three brothers. One, two, no, I'm kidding. It's the same guy. He wrote three letters. We call Third John. Third John, verses five through eight. Beloved. You are acting faithfully. I'll wait a moment. I know it may take a while to get there. Third John, beginning in verse 5. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. He's talking about the brethren who came traveling itinerant missionaries. 
who, who were actually strangers to them, and they bear witness to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. They've passed through your area, they've stayed with you, and now you send them on a way worthy of God. What does it mean to be worthy of God? How is God, how would God treat his traveling missionaries? How does God treat us? He's generous. He meets our needs. Treat them worthy of God. You are representing the Lord So treat them in a generous way. Meet their needs. Verse 8, therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And verse 7 says, for they went out for the sake of, of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They didn't go asking money from pagans. So God expects the church being his body, his representatives, to meet the needs of full-time workers and, and people in the ministry. Treat them in a manner worthy as God would, generous. Now, this command was given to Titus, but Titus alone did not have the resources. Uh, he couldn't help Zenos and Apollos by himself. And so Paul tells him to get the church involved in being generous to these men. Verse 14, and let our people, Titus, let our people learn this, our people on Crete, And at Lakeside, also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. In other words, it is every Christian's responsibility to aid in the support of missionaries and full-time Christian workers. Now, I don't usually speak about about finances. I, I don't feel comfortable doing that, but it is in the text. And so we have to speak about it. What does this have to do with evangelism? To not support missionaries is to be unfruitful in the Christian life. That's what Paul means at the end of verse 14, that they may not be unfruitful. And it may very well have been that these people on the island of of Crete were were self-centered and had a struggle with giving up some finances. They certainly were not wealthy people. But Paul is saying we want them to be fruitful in their Christian lives, and that means don't uh, hold on to money whereby you could support missionaries and full-time workers. You see, if you this hinders the work of evangelism. If we are not liberal in giving and we are not generous in giving to missionaries and those who are out on the front lines in evangelism, then the work of evangelism is hindered. That's how this affects evangelism. God wants us to be spiritually productive, not useless, and this involves being generous with our money. I hope that's true in your case because one of the greatest threats of evangelism, to evangelism in churches is to be, especially in the United States, is to be financially selfish, whereby all the money that God has entrusted to Americans, the most materialistic people on the face of the earth in the history of mankind, the great danger is that we will be trapped into being like our society, which consumes all their money basically on themselves. The church of Jesus Christ in America, especially, is to not be like our society. We are to make sure that we do not put creature comforts and materialism above the support of missionaries. It is pitiful. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but uh, I've seen it in the past. It is pitiful. It is pathetic. It is embarrassing to know what the typical Christian and evangelical churches gives towards missions. It, It is embarrassing. Listen, we spend more on our pets than we do on missions. That's a fact. I hope that you give to the Lord. I hope that you give generously. I hope that when you give, you don't feel like it's an obligation. It's not. He is so worthy. We give to him because he's worthy, not because he has any needs, but we give to him because he's worthy. We give out of worship to the Lord, but we also give keeping in mind that 
the finances that we give go to support those who are involved in ministry. It's a great threat. It's a great threat to not, to not give. Paul closes his letter, the words of verse 15, and then we'll close. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This study, you need to ask yourselves as we close, how has this changed me? How am I different than eight months ago? Could be a number of ways, but I hope uh, some of these. Have, uh, have you been more conscious of, of the importance of sound doctrine? Sound doctrine leads to sound living, which leads to sound evangelism. Have you been more conscious of that? What you hear, what you read, the importance of elders, of selecting elders who uh, not only are good guys and lead a good life, but men who can communicate clearly the word of God and refute error. It's the strength of our church, the foundation. Jesus Christ, the foundation, and as he leads through the right men. Have you been more conscious of the need for good works? Have you been more conscious of the need of godliness and sanctification in your own life? Have you been more conscious and more aware of the impact of our lives on the community? We, we do make a statement. You may think nobody cares about us here, but that's not true. That's not true. We, where you go to church and when people know you're a member or you attend Lakeside, it does have an impact on the community evangelistically. Your life is being watched, whether you realize it or not. But I hope you realize it. And do you realize how important evangelism is? It's a whole letter about evangelism and good works and godly living. God is concerned about our testimony. And as we close this morning, I hope that um, if you are caught up in, in speculative nonsense, that, that you'll get out of that stuff. Because you're, you're going to go nowhere spiritually with that kind of stuff. I hope also that you've taken to heart to be unified as a church, not to put one ministry, one class, one Bible study, one work above anything else. In fact, if anything, you take that work and you put it under somebody to esteem them more important. If you've had a crummy attitude, complaining, and you need to repent of that because that's not spiritual unity. And I hope you're also, you'll take to heart to be generous with missionaries, to, to treat them, to treat them well because they're not particularly treated well on the field. And I love those ministries that, that make missionaries so special and, uh, and, and esteem them as so important because for years they have, uh, not been treated like that. We're to treat them as God would treat them. Choice servants. I trust also that you'll consider how important it is, older ladies, to be training younger ladies. That's all a part of this. What have you done about that? No sense in going on to Genesis if you're not going to be obedient to Titus, because that's what Bible study is about, obedience. Let's bow for prayer. You need to make sure that you have not just heard the word, but you're a doer of the word. You need to be sure that you have not just sat in on a Bible study as if you were a spectator, but you have participated and entered into a worshipful response to the Lord. What changes has the Spirit of God wrought in your life? What changes has has He brought about? Are you more involved in discipling and working with younger women, older women? Older men, are you more sensible than ever? Younger men, are you more conscious of being an example? I mean, all these are the the things that we have to deal with. 
And it may very well be that you know you um, you don't know Jesus Christ. You're sitting in the congregation here, but um, you've never actually trusted the Lord. I invite you to do that. I invite you to enter into that relationship with Christ whereby these other things then will follow and the good works will follow. But the good works can't get you to heaven. The good works only demonstrate that there's been a change in your life. And that change comes about when you trust Christ to be your Lord and Savior. This concludes our series from the book of Titus. Verse by Verse is a radio Bible class led by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These programs are adaptations of Pastor Steve's pulpit messages and are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. To learn more about us or to listen again to any of our classes, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. At the website, we also offer a free podcasting service that will help you make sure you catch each class. There is also a link for those who might be interested in helping keep these classes on the air. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. You can order this entire three-part message on one cassette or CD by calling us at 727-239-0306. Call any time, and if you get the answering machine, leave your name and phone number, and we will return your call during normal business hours. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will begin a new series of lessons from God's Word. I hope you are looking forward to it as much as I am. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.